I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, the stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, April 5th, 2011. I'm not sure how this edition is going to work. Have I prepared enough? I, you know, normally I over-prepare, and uh, today it's just one of those days where I wonder if I've thoroughly prepared. But don't worry, I've got stuff on deck. Don't worry. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We like to compare those things to God's Word because we can trust God's Word. In, in fact, um, if, you, uh, if you subscribe to my Letter of Mark blog, Letter of Mark blog, uh, then you'll notice that uh, today I sent out a, a blog post talking about uh, the inspiration of Scripture, what it means, what it doesn't mean, and, and, and talked about the inerrancy of Scripture and how, and, you know, and how that's derived from uh, what we know about uh, what God's Word says about itself. And then I included a truckload, a, that's, that, I think that's the appropriate theological way of putting it, a truckload of biblical passages that demonstrate uh, what was put up there. And uh, for my source, oh man, I, I over and again find myself uh, looking for old, old, old books. You know, C.S. Lewis uh, basically had a point, and that was he, he wrote an essay when uh, he wrote the introduction to, uh, what was it, the 1948 translation of, um, of St. Athanasius's book, on the Incarnation, he wrote an essay, and you can find the essay itself uh, in his book God on God in the Dock. And the 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 name of the essay is on the reading of old books. And one of the things you know, I I just I love this fact is that our old dead theologians are completely not tainted by postmodernity. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it. These guys are safely ensconced uh, in the presence of Christ. They. Uh, 
Their their bodies are awaiting the uh, the resurrection of Jesus, soon to be revealed on the last day when Jesus appears in glory to judge the living and the dead. But um, I I find it to be a great value to uh, to look at and read some of the nineteenth century theologians that were truly orthodox. And uh, the reason why I find it fascinating is because they're bumping up against modernity and uh, some of the problems coming out of the so-called Enlightenment uh, as it's as it's impacting theology, but uh, things haven't gone c- completely nuts crazy uh, in, in the sense where you don't have the full-blown liberalism yet. And so there's a real good wrestling going on, and they have absolutely zero, zero... Uh, you know, reference to or exposure to postmodernity. So as a result of it, they argue differently than uh, a lot of our guys argue today. And yeah, I I don't know how to explain it, but you know, I'll, I'll try. The I, I guess the idea here is this: is that I find it refreshing because so many times, um, what we find is is that when somebody complains about something that Scripture says. That were, for whatever reason, I think that people are hesitant to go down that road, and uh, because you know somebody has uh, complained about it. these guys, they they haven't they haven't bumped into a postmodern apologetic for doubting being the equivalent of faith. As a result of it, they 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 show you how to use the passages in the way that they were intended to be used. Uh, contra the uh, emergence and the postmodern liberals and stuff like that, and it's refreshing. It's wonderful. So what I did is uh, I took a portion of uh, a dogmatics text uh, translated by a, a theologian by the name of Schmid. I, I've mentioned him before, and uh, regarding the inerrancy of Scripture and, and all that kind of stuff, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And what I did is I I married it to. Uh, the passages uh, that uh, that uh, A. L. Grabner, the uh, the great LCMS uh, doctor of theology, from his book Outlines of Doctrinal Theology, the the stuff that he put together regarding uh, the inspiration authority of Scripture. So what I did is I you know I took a dogmatic explanation, married it to the biblical text. What and see this is the funny thing is is that Schmid, um. Yeah, well, maybe this isn't a funny thing. Maybe this is a this is the downfall of it. One of the things, th- if I could be critical of uh, systematic theologies for just a moment, uh, not because uh, there's th- th- there's something wrong with systematic theologies. I th- I think that they are critical and important things for us to be stu- uh, to be studying and reading, and that's why I don't limit myself to just Peeper. I like reading. Systematic the, uh, theologies coming out of the early Reformation. Uh, you know, I've got uh, uh, Gearhart's theological commonplaces. I've got Schmidt. I've, I read a lot of Chemnitz. Uh, his uh, Loke Theolog- uh, Theologicae is great. Um, yeah. So uh, the idea here is is that uh, different dogmaticians argue a little bit differently because they're running up against different arguments against Christianity. The heresies were a little bit different. Today's heresies are are wild and they're all over the board and they're extremely multiplied and they're complex. But here 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 is my one uh, criticism of Schmidt and it's not like he's going to hear it anyway, but is that he does a fantastic job of quoting all of the uh, the classical Lutheran theologians. Um and he only gives references for the most part to the Bible passages. I think that should be the other way around. I think if if we're going to be Looking at the Bible systematically, 
if we're going to be doing a systematic theology, a systematic dogmatic text, that the the primary space needs to be given to the biblical passages. And um, and then what theologians have said about those passages needs to be commentary on them. And uh, so, you know, it, that might be something I might want to work towards. But anyway, so that's what I did today is that uh, if letter of Mark, L-E-T-T, uh, E-R-O-F-M-A-R-Q-U-E dot U-S, letter of Mark dot U-S is the blog. And uh, I have a blog post up there today that uh takes yeah you know, I updated the language a little bit uh, takes uh, Schmid's theological dogmatics explanation of the inspiration of scripture but then gives the biblical backing for the things that were stated in there so that you have that uh, biblically uh you know and uh you know, maybe it's a space thing but I I think you know the prime if we're going to talk about theology if we're going to give, okay, we're going to say, I have no problem with saying, starting with the summary, we believe the scriptures say and teach this doctrine, this thing, but then give me the biblical text so that I can read that and say, yes, I believe that what you're what you're seeing in those scriptural passages and the way you've summarized them is correct, and thank you for actually taking the time to actually print out and make those passages available in a way that makes it so I don't have to go hunting through my Bible so that I can see that the primary thing being discussed here is what God's Word what God's Word reveals about itself. Anyway, so, <clears throat> small diatribe, just the thing. Anyway, so, there we are. Um, all right, what are we going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith as I kick something over? I, I burned myself really badly this morning on the stove. I didn't even know that it was hot. <laughs> I got a blister. Anyway, yeah, see, these are the, um, the, the, there's dangers. If you're going to take some time to make yourself a, um, you know, a kettle of hot water so that you can enjoy some Earl Grey tea, um, it's best if, even if the the, uh, heating elements on your electric stove are black, if you don't touch them. It's just something that you shouldn't do. So, yeah, because they could, you know, you might want to put your hand over it to see if it's warm first. <laughs> yeah, don't do what I did. Anyway, um, let's see here. Uh, we've got a new story about a um, a preacher in Georgia who is doing a motorcycle stunt. Uh, he's jumping for Jesus. We'll take a look at that. Um, uh, we've I've got audio f- uh, from two videos that I want to play from BioLagos. BioLagos is this, um, this liberal think tank group that's trying desperately to marry Christianity with evolutionary theory. And uh, they found some, uh, quote, pastors to help them along the way. So we're going to be listening to two videos uh, put up on the BioLagos site from uh, that feature Reverend Daniel uh, Harrell. Reverend Daniel Harrell, he's uh, from Edina, uh, uh, Edina, Minnesota, which is a, a suburb of Minneapolis, St. Paul. And if I'm not mistaken, the church that he was there, uh, that he, I, I don't think he's there anymore, but the church that he was associated with was originally going to be the church that held the uh, Christianity 21 conference that was put on by Doug Paget and Tony Jones uh, in October of not last year, but the year before. I, I attended that to uh, figure out more about liberal theology and, and the new emergence way of thinking. And, um, so that I can help you uh, help you refute it here on fighting for the faith. But anyway, uh, so if I'm not mistaken, I think Daniel Harrell was associated with a church that that was originally supposed to be at, and they changed venues at the last minute. But 
Um, and then I'm going to uh, we're going to take a look at this. Uh, Emergent Village has bared its fangs. I uh, I mentioned this yesterday, but didn't get to the uh, story. And uh, the idea here is is that um, if, you're, if you're familiar with the history of Emergent Village and the whole so-called Emergent conversation, is is that these postmoderns and uh, you know the old guard that helped bring about the Emergent Village website. They were, um, um, well, uh, less than straightforward with their theology. In fact, they were notorious for um, for deconstructing uh, sound biblical doctrine and, in a sense, promoting uh, their ideas regarding uh, their their postmodern theology, not directly, but kind of indirectly, kind of by osmosis or suggestion. And uh, and which is funny because uh, when you read about uh, the uh, the ancient heretic Pelagius, that was exactly the same tactic that he took. Uh, he he didn't so much as put forward a a particular positive theology early on, but instead he deconstructed, attacked, and questioned the uh, the doctrines being taught in the church at the time, and uh, spent and and used the power of suggestion to assert his own theologies. And so uh, the Emergent Village used that tactic very well early on and uh, really did a, you know, continued to do that dance where the, you know, they would kind of let you see what they believe, but then you didn't see it. It was there, but it wasn't there. You thought you saw it, but then it disappeared kind of stuff. Uh, for years, they've been very evasive and not giving clarifying answers. Well, they've, um, <clears throat> I don't know what happened. Um, See that's the thing. Uh wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh that's the uh that's the metaphor that I think Jesus himself gave us. And uh, I think the folks over at Emergent Village have well they let their wolf teeth show through for a second and we, I've you know I can show you. And uh, and then we could talk about the uh, the new NIV. The new the uh, the brand new NIV Bible apparently is drawing sharp uh harsh criticism for the fact that it's got gender-neutral language in it. So we're going to take a look at that today. And then I'm going to do something I haven't done in a while, and that is uh, review uh, a sermon by the same guy within within the, within a month. Um, I'm going to be reviewing another Paul DeJong sermon uh, from Life Church in Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand. The name of this uh, sermon is Weight Carriers. And... Um, it felt, uh, felt that it was necessary to get this one out... Uh, sooner rather than later, because, uh, well, you'll hear in the sermon what's going on there. But this guy, I mean, <sighs> lots and lots of problems. And uh, hopefully some of our listeners in Auckland, New Zealand, can use this uh, this sermon review to, uh, I don't know, help stop some of the crazy things that he's trying to accomplish there. So uh, with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. From the Florida... Times Union from Jacksonville.com. Headline reads, Georgia Preacher Jumps for Jesus This Weekend in Middleburg Motorcycle Stunts. <sighs> you know, um, I'm already seeing press releases for those churches that are going to be giving away money and cash prizes and cars and things like that for Easter. <sighs> <clears throat> Um, let's see. This was written by Dan Scanlon from the Florida Times Union. Um, 
Aaron Ramsey needs space to preach, usually a parking lot's worth. That's where he'll be Saturday and Sunday when his motorcycle jumping ministry surges through a wall of fire and over nine buses outside of Calvary Baptist Church in Middleburg. The Augusta, Georgia-based preacher on wheels said he was originally inspired by the legendary motorcycle, Michael, motorcycle daredevil Evil Knievel. Hopefully he doesn't break as many bones as Evil Knievel did. Um, now, now planning and prayer uh, go into making safe, yet exciting jumps to strengthen his witness of the Word of God. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, I see. See, there's a problem here. Let me see if I can uh, read the sentence again. See if you spot it. Uh, this is um, this pastor speaking. He says, Now planning and prayer go into making safe yet exciting jumps to strengthen his witness of the word of God. Yeah, apparently God's word isn't enough. We need We need pastors on motorcycles jumping over buses in order to strengthen the witness of the word of God. Quote, once we become a servant of Jesus, we are obligated to use the talents that we have to share the gospel for Christ, said Ramsey, 49. Motorcycle stunts aren't usually part of preaching the word, admits Calvary, Calvary's associate pastor, Tim Pledger. But as when Jesus used a story to explain a greater spiritual truth, Pledger invited Ramsey to give his flock entertainment and a message. <laughs> Man. Um, so apparently, according to the pastor who's invited this other jump motorcycle jumping pastor, uh, these, these um, motorcycle jumps over buses and things like that are the equivalent of Jesus' parables. So this this is a parable here. Um, <clears throat> quote, we use these different earthly secular things to be able to teach greater truth, Pledger said. Um, no matter who you are or what your background is, there is a God who loves us, and this will relate to people on their level and help them be more willing to accept the gospel. Let me read that sentence again. Can you can you detect the problem here theologically? Because there's a big one. Um, we use these different earthly secular things to be able to teach greater truth. So, the, so this j- jumping over nine buses is to preach a greater biblical truth. No matter who you are, what your background is, there is a God who loves you. This will relate to people on their level and help them quote be more willing to accept the gospel. Can you spot the problem? Can you spot the problem? Can you spot the problem? Let me help you with the problem. The problem is Pelagianism. Okay? The reason why we've got a motorcycle pastor jumping over nine buses into a wall of flames is specifically because Aaron Ramsey, as well as Pastor Pledger, believe that by doing this, it'll make more people, it'll make people more willing to accept the gospel. Um, and that's the problem. If we're dead in trespasses and sins, as Scripture teaches us, then somebody jumping into a wall of flames isn't going to make them more willing to be less dead. You understand what I'm saying? But on top of that, the Scriptures make it perfectly clear that we are not the ones who choose Jesus. Jesus chooses us. If you have your Bible, open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Let me explain this to you using 
God's own words, okay? Yeah, I think that'd be a great place to go, okay? John chapter 1, starting at verse 9, we read, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. So, um, jumping over nine buses into a wall of flames will not make somebody more willing to accept the the gospel. That's ridiculous. And see, this is the reason why, this is the flawed thinking behind these types of stunts. This is the flawed thinking behind many of the soon-to-be Easter giveaways, uh, you know, that we're going to see cars and cash and and all kinds of stuff being given away during Easter services. Uh, This is the main faulty premise behind the whole seeker-driven movement that basically teaches that, you know, if you do these things, people will be more willing to accept the uh, gospel. The problem is is that the gospel is... um, The gospel is not something that people are willing to hear, even if you jump a motorcycle over nine buses or accept over nine buses, because you're not born by your decision. You're born by the will of God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So it doesn't matter. I mean, you could have somebody use a spaceship and jump over over nine planets into a flaming ball of flames known as the sun. And if they find a way to survive that, that still wouldn't make people willing to, quote, accept the gospel. Okay? Let me read another passage. Gospel of John, chapter 6. Starting at verse 41, I read, So the Jews grumbled about Jesus because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Now keep in mind, Jesus was a miracle worker. And um, somehow his miracles um, didn't exactly endear him to uh, the uh, people who were dead in trespasses and sins. In fact, the, the Jews and Pharisees, after him, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they plotted to kill him. Okay, uh, I mean, so I mean, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. Just correct me if I'm wrong. But um, if if Jesus raises somebody from the dead, isn't that a bigger stunt? Sorry to put it in those terms. Than somebody jumping over nine buses and a motorcycle into a wall of flames? I think so. But we read in John chapter 11 that after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, that the Jews plotted to kill, to to re-kill Lazarus and to kill Jesus. That's what the text tells us. But see, here's the reason. Okay, let me read. John chapter 6. I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And the Greek word there, the Greek uh, verb is helkuo. Helkuo literally means uh, you know, to drag something with, in, with the understanding that the thing that you're dragging or pulling is incapable of locomotion on its own or any motion on its own. You're doing it, 
you're dragging it because it, it can't move. So if you were to drag, you know, throw some ropes around a really heavy statue of Caesar, you would hell kuo that statue into place. You would drag it or draw it into place with the understanding that, you know, that statue, even though it has legs, is not capable of actually moving. That's the the idea behind the Greek word helkuo. We're not saved by choosing Jesus, and people are not more willing to accept the gospel just because somebody jumped nine buses. All of these silly ideas are that. They're just silly ideas. And in fact, many times they get in the way. They get in the way of the gospel. Anyway, we're up on our... Um, First break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Because all the letters of the Bible are red letters, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. It's... Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. You're listening to the Emergence Sports Network here on Pirate Christian Radio. You've tuned in just in time to catch today's emergence ball match between the Pomo Bombers and the Majestic Mystics. Today's match is proudly brought to you by Rex Quando's Bible Pants. There's the buzzer, and they're off. McLaren dribbles a pigskin down to first base, takes out his putter, and... Whoa! Jones checks McLaren against the boards, and then passes to Paget in left field. But wait, Bulls Weber is charging from the 10-yard line, and she slam dunks from the foul line. That's a birdie. The crowd is going wild. When was the last time you saw something like that? I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. Okay, play is resuming. There's Rollins. He serves to Bell. Bell snatches the snitch, and then Hail Mary passes to McLaren. McLaren is in the end zone. Oh, and he slaps it back to third base. Tickle grabs her wicket and then punts one out into center court. It looks like Jones and Paget are double-teeing Bowles Weber. He doesn't have a shot, so she slices one off into the rough. McLaren is there to make the safety, but Paget grabs McLaren's face mask and then throws down to second base. What a brilliant save that was. Jones takes out his driver, then sends one out to midfield. Tickle headbutts the ball and then sends it back to McLaren. He vaults over the pummel horse. Oh, and he sticks the landing! Unfortunately, the degree of difficulty wasn't that high, but McLaren racked up seven brownie points. Tickle sets up for the kickoff. But wait, Jones is trying to steal third base. Tickle slap shots the ball back to Bulls Weber, but Jones is safe. He's safe. That means it's going to be third down with 44 meters to the pin. Looks like this match is going to go into sudden death.
Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, the gospel doesn't need help. You need to preach it. You need to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Preach law and gospel. Quit with the spectacular spectacles. Yeah, I'm just saying. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You know the drill. We truly could use your help. If you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says, Donate. The other says, Join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send that to Post Office Box uh, 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46. Zero three eight. Okay, moving along here. I, I apologize, but I do not have a, um, I do not have intro music for anything for BioLogos. It just makes me wonder if there is there some kind of song out there written about uh, the you know the primordial ooze and and little tiny critters evolving out of the ooze and slurping up onto uh, onto land and then turning into uh, monkeys and stuff like that. Nothing comes to mind. Um, <laughs> no, nothing. I can't. I don't. I cannot recall any um, great songs about the uh, you know, the the our granddaddy and grandmammy uh, amoeba. Um, anyway, um, but the Biologos Foundation. This is a this is a group that is dangerous. This is a group that's really, really, really dangerous. They are as wrong as wrong gets and they are militant in their efforts to somehow blend uh christian dogma with um well the, the sacred with evolutionary theory and there's no reason for doing that the reason uh, evolution cannot stand up to true scientific scrutiny it just can't and it isn't and that's the fun part about it i mean even the top leading guy the top leading geneticist denies common descent uh because he knows the uh, dna strands uh, you know intimately anyway um but uh, they enlist the help of uh, pastors and uh, biologos does in helping them put out this idea that somehow we can reconcile we that we can live happily together with uh Darwinian evolution and uh, Christian dogma, and as a result of it, they come up with some pretty 
wild things. And uh, most recently, uh, the Reverend Daniel Harrell, um, he, he he be one of them. And uh, let, listen to this listen to this bit of reasoning. And to help you kind of understand what's going on here, if evolution is true, okay, then the pro- death is really critical in evolution, okay. Death becomes part of the bigger mechanism by which there's change in species. Because remember, it's survival of the fittest, okay? And those species, those uh, mutations that are not fit don't survive. Death is, in fact, if you buy into evolutionary theory, death isn't a bad thing. Death is a good thing. Death isn't the result of sin. Death is the natural process by which God is creating new critters. Okay? that I mean, that's how black and white this difference is. But uh, here's Reverend Daniel Harrell uh, using what I would consider something of an epistemological stretch to help us see how death is a positive thing. And, um, well, just listen to, your, listen to him yourself. See what you think. Here, here we go. For me, one of the, the biggest helps has been to recognize that the amount of, of death and waste that evolution requires, or the apparent death and waste that evolution requires, that's a big stumbling block for a lot of Christians who begin to dig into it. Why is it that, that, that things wouldn't just develop linearly and beautifully and just happen? Why all of this, this, this waste or death? Yeah, <clears throat> it's... Not just the waste piece of it. It's you know, the, you're, you're, he's asking a question, but it's not. You know, for me, the issue isn't oh, why all this waste? Why all this death? I mean, why couldn't God just have created? Because if if we're to somehow meld Christianity with, um, with evolutionary theory, then we've got to come to grips with that that the mechanism by which God created critters is death, and we've got some passages that just can't be reconciled with that point of view. Let me give you a couple of them. If you have your Bibles, flip on over to the uh, the the epistle by Paul to the Roman uh, to the Romans, Romans chapter five. Okay, Romans chapter five. Let me read just a little bit of stuff here. Here's what it says: Chapter five, starting at verse six, for context's sake. It says, "For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly." Okay. Now there's death mentioned here. Okay, this is important because we're talking about the death of Christ. We continue. Listen to this. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died. What was the reason for Jesus' death? The reason is because his his death, his blood redeemed us. His blood was an atoning sacrifice. His blood propitiated the wrath of God. His sufferings and death was him taking upon him the consequences of our sin in our place for us. Okay? This is what scriptures teach. Okay? Since, therefore, we have now been justified, declared righteous by Christ's blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
Verse 12, this is the important thing. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there was no law. Yet death reigned, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through one man's trespass, much more has the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, to summarize what the Apostle Paul wrote by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are you ready? Death is not a natural thing. Death is the punishment for our sin. Death came about as a result of the historic Adam's trespass against God's commandments, and as a result of all of us who are naturally descendants from Adam, we have inherited his sinful nature, and we um, and and as a result of his sin, we now all die. Death came into the system as a result of Adam's sin. This is what Scripture teaches. Death is not a positive thing. It's a punishment. Death is not something that's this, the great mechanism by which God creates new critters. Death is the, death is the thing that uh, is the punishment of our sins. For the wages of sin is, fill in the blank, death. Okay, there's more passages. For instance, we could look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, um, where God commands Adam and Eve this, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Okay? Or we could look at Paul's argument in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 21. For by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. So there's other passages that correspond to this one passage. Or you could take a look at Romans chapter 6. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So the idea here is this. Who are you going to believe? The Biologos Foundation, which is trying to meld evolutionary theory which, by the way, you've got more and more scientists defecting from Darwinian evolution every day as a result of the fact that it's scientifically an untenable position. Or are you going to believe what the Scriptures tell us, that death came about as a result of trespass, as a result of sin, that this is not how God intended anything? This Death is not a positive thing. Death is not the mechanism by which God creates new critters. God creates new critters by speaking them into existence. 
but no, no, not not according to the Reverend Daniel Harrell. Now watch this bit of, well, the word is sophistry, but here we go. And one of the things that was so helpful to me is this realization of, of how death is is part of the character of God, that it is... Really, where in the Bible does it say that death is part of the character of God? So apparently we got a God of death. I, I had no idea. His His supreme expression of love is an act of death. Yeah, right, and what was that death for? That death was Jesus taking our punishment upon himself. He gives himself fully for the sake of us whom he loves. And inasmuch as he does that through Christ, you see an analogy to that sort of an evolution that all of this is spent by God, you know, for the sake of, of life as we come to enjoy. Oh, so all of the death that's occurring in the mechanism of evolution is, well, it's analogous to Jesus's death on the cross, according to the Reverend Daniel Harrell. You see, when we see all these critters that, you know, that aren't surviving because they're, they're you know, it's survival of the fittest and, um, and you know, that all of this waste and stuff like that, well, that's really just analogous to Jesus' death on the cross because according to him, without any passages cited, death is a, is a, is a, is a tender part of God's character. And appreciate it, and and it's 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 just a different thing because we we expect that what God would do would be just to do everything as we would do it if we were God, you know, perfectly and in just this straight row. But in fact, what we have is you know a God who does things in ways we would never expect. You know, why would you ever save the world by becoming human and dying yourself? So all the more, why would you ever create a world that? exists as it does through dying and, in a sense, giving yourself for it. So those kinds of analogies are helpful to me because you are able to— No, they're not helpful at all. It's, it's not even a like analogy. It's, it's a really bad analogy because when you read the text in Romans, which, by the way, the Apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's clear that death came about as a result of sin, and Jesus' death was to propitiate the wrath of God. But you don't talk about that. Death would not be here were it not for Adam's rebellion against God. See that, you know, theology can be writ large upon the, upon the biological narrative, even though that's something that science itself would never, you know, write. Right. Yeah. That was so unhelpful. <sighs> yeah. Uh, but we got more. We... <laughs> We've got more. I mean, this this obviously begs the question, well, uh, what do you think then, uh, Reverend Harrell, you know, about Adam and Eve? I mean, we're, I mean, what can you tell us about those two uh, people? I mean, uh, well, let's find out what he thinks about them. I guess I, am, I appreciate how for many conservative Christians, uh, historical Adam and Eve is, is very, very important. Um, and I think you've... Yeah, I think it was important to Jesus, too, by the way. I mean, he said, oh, it's so kind of you, Daniel, that you, that you care for us conservatives. And, and, you, and you understand how important historical Adam and Eve is to us. Um, by the way, uh, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 19. Let, let me just read a little bit from, you know, Jesus. I mean, not that he knows anything. Because, I mean, 
obviously he's he's a product of of the Iron Age and just he if I mean according to them if Jesus were alive today he would be embracing evolutionary theory. But uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, it, it says this, Pharisees came to test Jesus, and they tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning created them male and female? And he said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one Flesh. Jesus was quoting Genesis chapter one, um, Genesis chapter one, and he quoted that authoritatively. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning created them male and female? Apparently, uh, historical Adam and Eve was important to Jesus. Not that Jesus knew anything. No, I mean we all know that he was just you know a product of the Iron Age and. And obviously, he just didn't have access to today's modern textbooks. And uh, and had he had access to today's modern evolutionary science, um, then obviously he would have been a, an evolutionist. At least that's how the argument goes, right? But see, here's the deal. The, uh, historic Adam and Eve was, well, um, um, well, let's just say... Um, important to Jesus. But then that's funny is is that you know the Adam and Eve they actually had a, a phys, they had you know they had several children that are mentioned in uh, the book of Genesis. Um Cain is one of them, Abel is another. Um in fact Jesus, this is interesting in Matthew chapter 23 verse 32, Jesus says this, fill up then the measure of your fathers you serpents you brood of vipers, how are you to escape from being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood that was shed on the earth from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Now, apparently here Jesus talking to these, um, you know, these Pharisees and, you know, these religious leaders, said that he's going to hold them guilty, hold them guilty of the blood of innocent Abel. Well, then this kind of begs the question. I mean, um, we all know who Genesis says Abel was. Abel was one of the children of historical Adam and Eve. I mean, if, if Abel wasn't a real person, but this is all, you know it's only metaphorical then then we could then we can just kind of change this all here let's see here um so he, he, verse 35 so that on you may come all the th- uh, the theoretical metaphorical uh righteous blood shed on the earth from the theoretical uh you know symbolical blood of the metaphor known as Abel to the blood of the metaphor of Barakiah, uh, Zechariah the son of Berechiah whom you metaphorically murdered between the uh sanctuary and the altar doesn't um yeah it doesn't work when you do that it's, it sounds to me like Jesus actually believed in historic Adam historic Eve and in the historic son Adam who was historically killed by their other son Cain and who and and he was innocent and he his blood was real but I mean I'm just quoting Jesus and you know everybody knows that he's just a product of the Iron Age and of course if he had access to 
today's modern science, he would know better than to think that Adam and Eve were historical people. But he sure did chew out those um, those uh, Pharisees and religious leaders and quoted you know, the book of Genesis as if it was authoritative, you know. Well, let's see what the Reverend Daniel Harrell does with this. One of the things that's been discussed here is how uh, in Corinthians and Romans, um, uh, Paul's reference back to Adam and Eve is almost necessary as a historical figure, given the way that he is describing them. Yeah, and uh, in Jesus, too. I've quoted Paul and Jesus. Um, some things that have been helpful to me is, is I don't think that a historical Adam and Eve are, are problematic from a biblical historical context. I th- well, do tell. Please give us the details of how did you come to this position. I think Adam and Eve as the first humans is, is what the problem is. And so I argue that, I mean... Who, who argues? Hang on a second. He, listen again. Who, 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 he's, he's clear as to who's arguing here. Listen. First humans is, is what the problem is. And so I argue... You argue. Oh. Yeah, that's a problem, don't you think? Are we supposed to argue our opinions? I argue? Jesus argued for the existence of Adam and Eve, historical. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, third person of the Holy Trinity, all scriptures God breathed. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God, who was the principal cause of Scripture, Paul was the instrument of God's writing this, makes it clear that there is a historical Adam, and that through that historical Adam, all men sinned and fell into death. Do you got better credentials than that, Reverend Harold? That... I mean, you can say, and I think we've had some pastors say that, well, you know, God does this special creation thing of Adam and Eve in the context of the evolutionary epoch. And God could do that, and that's fine. I don't think you have to say that. I think you could also say... So you're, so there's a group of guys out there who say that God created Adam and Eve in the evolutionary context. So as... As primates were moving from chimpanzee to standing upright to being Neanderthal to moving to the next evolutionary step, maybe Adam and Eve were the first two uh, people to make that evolutionary leap. Uh-huh. That, that God specially selects Adam and Eve for this covenant relationship, much as he did with Abraham, say, uh, in the biblical epic. And so that Adam and Eve become representative of the kind of relationship then that God intends to have with, with all people. Okay, something just comes to my mind here. So according to his possible hermeneutical interpretation of the book of Genesis, they, you know, okay, we can have kind of a historical Adam and Eve in the evolutionary context, and maybe what happened is, is that God chose Adam and Eve the same way, the same way that God chose, you know, Moses in the burning bush. You know, so here was this, you know, lovely couple, I mean, you know, recently evolved from primates, and they were wandering around, you know, looking at the primordial ooze, maybe, and you know, and reflecting on on on, on how it's been a wonderful trip from the ooze to standing upright and having opposable thumbs. And and and, and then God says, you know, you look like a great couple. I, I'd like to, uh, you know, to uh, call you to my special purposes. 
And uh, and so what, what that special purpose is going to be is is that you're going to be called the way I'm going to call Moses in the future. And so maybe rather than using a burning bush, God used a big burble in the in the primordial ooze. You know, the problem is is that um, that's not what the narrative says at all. Um, in fact, it does. It says quite the opposite. Um, if you have your Bible, flip on over to the book of Genesis. And again, this just comes down to the question of who are you going to believe? Um, who are you going to believe? So um, uh, Genesis chapter 1, God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according, I'm at verse 24, according to their kinds, livestock creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and the livestock over the earth and over every creeping thing. So God created man in his own image. God created, God created man in his own image. So it doesn't say that God called them the way that God called Moses. The text doesn't give us anything there what to uh, go with that. Uh, well, let's, I mean, let's take a look here. Um, let's, I mean, let's just take a look at more of the narrative here. Um, moving ahead to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, here's here's what it says. Uh, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils and and the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Hmm. It says that God formed the man of the dust from the ground and then breathed into his nostrils. That's so... No mention here of God calling Adam and Eve like he called Moses. And so the Lord planted a garden of Eden in the east, and there came and put the man he had formed. And out of the ground the, the Lord God made to, the, uh, made to spring up every tree that is pleasing in the, sight of, uh, in, in, in the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to the waters of the garden, and it divided and became four rivers. Mm-hmm, okay. Um, so we got uh, verse 15 moving ahead just a little bit. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever he, the man called every living creature, that was its name. The, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Okay, um, so this is what the biblical text says. 
Nothing there about uh, Adam and Eve being called like Moses. It, in fact, the biblical narrative tells us that Adam and Eve were created, that they weren't already on the scene, okay, but they were actually created. I mean, this kind of le- le- leads to the question, and one, I think one of the fair questions to ask evolutionary scientists. Um, so when this, when evolutionary, you know, when the next step in evolution occurs and, and uh, you know, and the monkey gives birth to a human being, I mean, it, wouldn't it make sense that there would have to be spontaneous other human beings that make this, you know, that that are born also from monkeys, so that they can mate with each other and you know, and you know, and take this new species to the next level? So at some point, I mean, you have to have an Adam and Eve. You have to have, you know, fully developed humans, genetically humans, and there's got to be more than one of them. There's got to be at least two of them in order to propagate the species. And this has to occur pretty much simultaneously. One of the weirder problems. But according to him, you don't know, in in the evolutionary context, we can just start interpreting the Bible any old way we want to. In fact, I'm going to back this up a little bit. Here we go. I think you could also say that, that God specially selects Adam and Eve for this covenant relationship, much as he did with Abraham, say, uh, in the biblical epic. And so that Adam and Eve become representative of the kind of relationship then that God intends to have with, with all people. Yeah, but there's no text that says that. And Jesus said that God created them male and female. And and, and that is a, a point of, of possible convergence. That possible, yeah, but the Bible doesn't say that. That allows those who are very worried about an historical Adam and Eve to, to breathe easier. And those... Yeah, I'm not interested in breathing easier. I'm interested in the truth. And what you're saying doesn't sound true who are very concerned about integrity with DNA findings and evolutionary science to also breathe an easier, breathe a bit easier, because that at least is a possibility of hermeneutics. The Bible doesn't give us much more, but um, that is one way to look at it. So there you go. Hermeneutical gymnastics in order to find a way to meld evolutionary theory and uh, in the Bible. Yeah, it's just not going to work. It just won't work. And the reason why is because evolution isn't true, and scientifically, it's not really faring too well. Okay, moving along. Yep, those folks over at Emergent Village have finally showed their fangs. Yeah, the uh, biblical metaphor uh, is wolves in sheep's clothing. And uh, finally, the folks over there at Emergent Village have finally showed their fangs. And uh, case in point is the blog post put up by Jeremy Johnson. Hell, One hell of a God is the name of it. 
And uh, from the Emergent Village web blog, um, let me read just a little bit of it. I mean, gone are the days when those folks were doing everything they could to make sure that they got that sheepskin covering up everything. In fact, I'm thinking the folks over there at Emergent Village really need to change the name from EmergentVillage.com to Los Lobos Ministries. Anyway, um, Jeremy writes, uh, he writes, how can we say God is good? How can we say God is love? How can we say God is just? How can we say God is righteous? Question, question, question. Notice the deconstructing nature. How can we say any of these if we believe in a God who created hell and wrote the rules of how to go there or avoid it and, and then creates millions of souls that God knows will never make the cut and then implements the judgment that sends the majority of those God-created souls to a God-created place of eternal conscious torment, fire, worms, and darkness, and, you know... How is that good, love, just, righteous, or even fair judgment? In in that sense, Hitler and others of the like are far more loving, just, and righteous, good, and fair than that God. or, Or at least Hitler killed the people he loved. No court, no man, no woman, no mom would ever look at those actions or that God is good, loving, or just, and righteous, or fair. And, and yet a lot of people do. This is what makes no sense to me anymore. I I cannot picture a mom punishing her kids, even despite her many warnings to them by waterboarding them in in the garage for the rest of their lives, which is uh, a hundred billion million times more merciful than the traditional notion of hell. And... Even more insane would be a court honoring her for her good, loving, just, righteous, and fair course of action. And yet this is a picture of a God that that a totally tra- that total traditionality serve or fear or love and Perhaps God hasn't suddenly changed or revealed a a new message. Perhaps the picture of God we've been handed is skewed. Because if God behaves and thinks and and, and is like that, and that is not a God worthy of mine or anyone else's worship or love or respect, this God would would be be deemed as evil and hating and unjust and demented and...
Yeah, um, I'm I'm just thankful that the folks over at uh, Los Lobos Ministries, formerly Emergent Village, have finally uh, bared their fangs. By the way, that little piece by Jeremy Johnson, yeah, that wasn't theology. That was just a childish, probably more like junior high kind of rant. Uh, no, no appeal to what the biblical text says, just claiming that the God who is revealed in the Bible isn't worthy of his worship. The funny thing is, is that he, Jeremy's just assuming everybody's pretty decent people, and and he seems to take into consideration that his ideas are, well, they're more true than what God has revealed about himself in Scripture. Yeah, get over it, Jeremy. You're going to stand before that God someday, and if you're not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, don't worry. I assure you, you won't have to spend eternity with him. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Because only good theology leads people to heaven, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Now, I normally don't review uh, too many sermons by the same person in a short amount of time. I try to space them out a little bit. Uh, This one warranted a change of policy. You'll see why when we get into this thing.
The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review them all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Life Church in Auckland, New Zealand. Pastor Paul DeJong presiding. The name of the sermon, Weight Carriers. Now, um, the, uh, I don't even know what to say about this. This sermon is about carrying your cross. And apparently the cross that the people need to carry there in Auckland, New Zealand, well, is a multi-million dollar cross. Yeah, I, maybe I should just let Paul DeJong explain it in his own words. Let me, um, let me kill the music here. Without any further ado, here is Pastor Paul DeJong, Life Church, Auckland, New Zealand, Weight Carriers. So what if there is a bigger picture? What if for a moment we got a glimpse of the enormity of what God carries for people? What if it's true that your eye could never see, your ear would never be able to hear, or your heart doesn't have the capacity to carry what God has in store? We're starting with the sappy music. You know, I'm convinced that sappy music stuff is all about emotional manipulation. So why are we beginning this sermon with emotional manipulation? Hmm. Could it be that there's money involved? Every person in this world was as important as you. Father, we thank you today. We thank you as we as a church here at Life focus on your heart for the house and your desire to be a home for the harvest. I pray, God, that as we take time around your word, that there would be more than the words of a man that's been prepared, but there'd be the voice that's the voice above all other voices speaking to each of our hearts. That we would have a capacity somehow to carry the weight of what you carry, to see what you see, to hear what you hear. That somehow, God, you would speak to our hearts and If we feel distant, today would be the day that we connect with you. If we feel worthless, today we'll see the treasure that we are in your hands. And God, we pray for this world that's going through a shaking, this world that is being touched by the ends of times, that God, we will be moved to be proactive, to bring the message of your grace and love and forgiveness. We pray this morning again for those we sit next to on our left and our right, you know them. Every part of them, we pray, God, that you would bless them, that you'd speak to them. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thanks, team. Thanks, Nigel. Well, as Pastor Marshall said, today is our Heart for the House, Home for the Harvest Sunday. And I don't know about you, but I'm pumped. And uh, I'm pumped because as a church, we are in our 20th year. October this year, we will turn 20. And to see what God has done and to see what God is doing as we desire for the level of impact to increase. It's an amazing thing with God. God never is static. There may be seasons where we don't see a lot of things happening above the ground, but God is always moving. 
God is always building for something that will reach people and the depths of the heart of people in a more realistic way. And once a year, we get as a church to say, hey, what could we do financially? What is he talking about? It sounds like that motorcycle guy, you know, you know, God is always reaching. What is actually what could we do as individuals about furthering the reach of life through community, through kingdom, through all that's happening here and building God's house. And I, I was actually quite moved this week as Marie was speaking to our staff on Wednesday morning and then to our leaders on Wednesday night. And she shared something out of her heart. And I want to take what she brought. I want to take the reference that she brought and really add my spirit to it. And I don't know if you're ready for this, but I'm not going to talk to you as church on Sunday morning. I'm actually going to talk to you today as I would talk to the leaders of life. I want to talk to you as a catalyst leader. A what? A catalyst leader? Hmm. Where are they mentioned in the Bible? Your job, Pastor DeJong, is to open up the Word and preach the Word. So you're speaking to everybody in your church as if they're catalyst leaders. What is that? I actually want to talk to you as a true disciple of Christ. And I appreciate on any given Sunday in one of our 10 or 11 services, there are people that walk into church for the first time. But let me say to you, if this is your first time, what a great day to be here. Because you're going to hear it straight. And I don't know about you, but I want the main course. You know, it's good to go to a restaurant, but let's not fluff around with the, the, you know, the nice little salad at the meal. Let's get into the meat. Let's get into the, the stuff that's really there. And so I'm going to give you both barrels. So turn to the person next to you and say, I'll be your security. <laughs> if you don't love me at the end, I don't really mind as long as you love Jesus a little more. All right. So we're going to get straight into the word here. Jesus is addressing the disciples in Matthew 16. And this is what he says to the disciples. I want you to get this. This was not a group of Sunday morning attenders. These were those that had committed to him. And this is what he said to them. If you actually desire to come after me, let him or whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. I mean, no, that's not a good start to a Sunday morning. Because we spend our lives... Feeding, focusing, come on, being concerned about self. He says, okay, I'm going to give it to you straight. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And I don't know about that, but there's a huge challenge of maturing real quick when you're in the presence of Jesus. It's kind of like the grace of God leads us to the freedom of salvation. His love for you. It has no strings attached. But once we're born again, Jesus says, I've got a mission, I've got a mandate, I've got a responsibility for you to learn what it is to be a disciple. You see, you want to come after me. Most people in that day and age heard Jesus speak and they were wowed by not just what he brought verbally, but the spirit he carried. He was the opposite of the religious order. He was talking about a heart revolution. He was talking about how every human being, no matter what they had gone through, no matter what they were facing, no matter what people had said to them, could begin a life with the God of all creation. Um, <clears throat> Jesus preached repentance. 
Uh, that's that sounds very different than what you're seeing here. You know, repentance from sins. Do you know that John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, and he preached repentance of sins? You, you familiar with John the Baptist? John the Baptist and Jesus both preached repentance. And here Jesus spoke, and he says, well, there are many that think they desire to come after me. But I want to tell you, a disciple is someone that learns what it is to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow after me. The fact is, I think we actually spend most of our time, our everyday battle, so often is being safe. Mm-hmm-hmm. You see the, uh, the devil's in the details here. How is he defining a disciple? Okay, yes, truly, disciples of Jesus take up their cross daily and follow Christ. That's what they do because they're a new creation in Christ. So the devil's in the details. How is he defining words here is going to be critical as we continue with the sermon. Come on, think about it. If you said, how do you describe human nature? It's protection. It's safety. It's, it's making sure that nothing's... No, it's sinful. Yeah, Ephesians chapter um, Ephesians chapter 2. I mean, if we're going to talk about human nature, okay, let's, let's do the Bible thing. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul, writing to the, uh, the Christians at the church in Ephesus, writes, he says... And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So if we're going to talk about human nature, um, there's nothing wrong with safety. There's nothing wrong with being cautious. The scripture, when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, it's not saying that you need to be reckless and live a life of danger, okay? It's to consider yourself, well, as a walking dead person, so that you you value the things of God rather the things of the temporal things of this earth. Consider yourself dead because as the Apostle Paul writes in uh, Romans chapter 6, let me read this for you. Uh, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Well, by no means. How can we who died to sin continue to live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the, p- part of the idea is, you know, pointing, you know, can, you know, taking up your cross daily and following Christ is understanding that the way of a Christian, the way of, of Christ, is one where we are buried with Christ already in our baptisms, we're raised with Christ already in our baptisms, that, um, that, we're sojourners here, waiting for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that in this world, we're going to suffer and face persecution. We're going to suffer at, you know, at the hands of people who are not going to be thrilled with the gospel that we're proclaiming, because by nature, they're at war with the God that we're proclaiming. 
being a Christian is a dangerous thing, dangerous in the sense that it could cost you your life. It could cost you it could cost you a job, it could cost you reputation, it could cost you persecution. But we're not to go seeking after danger. That's not it. You preach the gospel, and you're going to get yourself in danger. I, I was recently contacted by an old high school friend of mine. Now, I, this is going to sound crazy, but um, back in the day when I was skinny, um, in, fresh out of high school, in fact, my first year of college, I, I, played, uh, I played electric guitar in a, in a band. <clears throat> it's true. I have a witness. Anyway, uh, this old friend of mine uh, contacted. He was the drummer in my band, and we had we had lost touch with each other for you know twenty twenty two years. I I hadn't heard from him in twenty two years, and he contacted me on Facebook, and uh, it it was it's very interesting to to hear the story that he told of of you know what has happened to him in the past twenty two years. But the point being is this: is that um, you know he uh, you know he spent some time in the drug culture and really messed up his life and Christ really truly saved him saved him and in 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 a sense you know the Christ sanctifying work cleaned him up and now he's a missionary he's been a missionary in Japan for 11 years and 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 preaching preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Christ and uh, and you know he he contacted me and asked me to be praying continue to be praying for the people in Japan and we all should be doing that and uh, and and then told me of a story of uh, something that happened to him, you know, in his church. He, you know, as a missionary there in Japan, there was a, a gal who came into his congregation, uh, well, the, a member of the congregation who was teaching false doctrine. She was basically teaching people that unless they confess all of their sins, they can't be forgiven of those sins. You know, they can only be forgiven of the sins that they remember and confess to God. Otherwise, yeah, there's no forgiveness for those those you know those sins that you've forgotten. And uh, he confronted her on it. She got very upset, and she left. And and uh, rather than sticking up for him, the pastor, the, the the pastor of this congregation, got mad at him because well, this woman was a tither. Yeah, um, yeah. I gotta tell you, um, you boldly proclaim the truth. You preach Christ and Him crucified for our sins, and you rebuke those who are teaching false doctrine or are sinning or doing things they ought not to be doing, I guarantee you, when you rock the boat, uh, you're, you know, good chance you're going to lose a few tithers. You're going to lose some money. You're gonna, yeah, the, yeah, you could be totally destroyed doing the work of God. But see, you don't go seeking after these things like you're seeking after adventure. Just proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all authority. I guarantee you, the the persecution and the suffering will come all on its own. You don't need to go hunting for it. It's going to actually violate who we are, or take from us what we've got—our security, our safety—and on the other end of the equation is our success. We work our whole lives on safety and success, and Jesus, in the middle of it, says, "This is it. You're going to have to deny yourself." You're going to have to take up your cross, and you're going to have to follow me, which sounds the easy part of the equation, but we'll get to see how challenging that is. Why? Because you see, fear keeps us safe, and fear is what robs us from faith. I actually believe that most of the church world that feel like we're on fire for God, we're not even close to the raw value of faith. In fact, when we say that we step out of the boat, we make sure that there are ropes or bungee cords attached still back to the boat. 
Come on, we're in an age where we don't know what it is to risk all, all of human security. Mm-hmm. And step out in a pathway that's going to follow God into the unknown where the supernatural can manifest itself. Safety and success becomes our mantra. Say, well, that doesn't affect me, Paul. Well, I'd like to challenge you on that. I think you spend most of your life working on safety or success. In fact, we're more committed to our education and our form of income than we are sometimes to the purposes of God. Like I said, I'm talking to disciples this morning. This is not a normal Sunday morning message. We spend so much... So on your normal Sunday morning message, you don't talk to disciples. Hmm. That sounds a little backwards, don't you think? Much time on the temporal. In fact, the temporal rules over the eternal. And Jesus in the middle of this says, no, this is what it's all about. In the middle of your thinking and your understanding about all that I can bless you with, I want you to deny yourself. I want you to take your load. I want you to become somebody that follows me wherever I go, whatever I want to do. I want you to walk in my footprints. Then he goes on and he begins to dialogue. He gives that huge challenge in verse 25. He says, in fact, whoever desires to play it safe, whoever makes their decisions out of the safe zone. Uh, What passage are you reading? All right, let's spend a little bit of time. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to have to do some work here. Hang on a second here. I want to pull it up in a different window. Matthew 16. All right. Verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, we need a little context around that, don't you think? Let's add that. Okay? Remember, our first our, our first three rules of sound biblical interpretation are context, context, and context. Here's what it says. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever is loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged them, charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised again. Now Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance for me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, notice is this is all in the same breath. In the same breath that Peter confesses Christ, Peter rebukes Christ, and then Christ rebukes Peter and then says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, 
Let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now when you put that section back in context, you realize, oh, okay, this isn't about risk-taking versus playing it safe. That's not risk taking is not what it means biblically to deny yourself. That is not a synonym biblically with what it means to deny yourself. And notice what he's talking about here. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Is G- if we're to use Paul DeJong's wild interpretation here, we've got to come to the conclusion that if you play it safe in life, that you you risk the cha- you risk forfeiting your soul into hell. If you play it safe, you you could go to hell. If you don't risk everything, you could go to hell. It's not quite what Jesus is saying. Playing it safe and being risky are not what's really going on here. It's much 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 deeper than that. Whoever actually looks at the temple and allows that to lead them, whoever desires to save his life will lose his life. But then again, the one that loses his life for my sake will be the one that finds it. For what profit is there to a human being if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? It's very interesting in an age of decadence. And I know the blessing of God is there for us to access. But we've got more billionaires today than ever before. But when we arrive out of our security and safety into a place of success, and we get all that there is to get, the billionaires of today are waking up to the fact that having it all, their soul is still empty. Come on, it's happening all over the world. And so people are realizing the prophet does does nothing. So therefore I'm going to take the prophet and I'm going to bring soul to the world, to the needs in Africa and the needs all over the planet. I'm going to begin to realize that, well, I've come to realize that true, true, lasting fulfillment is when I access the life and help of another. Jesus said it 2,000 years ago. Uh, That's not really what Jesus was saying in this in that passage at all. Yeah, this is eisegesis now. We're just sticking stuff in there and blaming it on Jesus. Well, the Son of Man, verse 27, will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he's going to reward each one according to their own practical commitments of kingdom purpose in between their safety and desire for success. It's a challenge. You know, I want to share today as we come to the apex of this month about becoming a weight carrier. I don't know if you or I could fully understand the weight that Jesus took. The Bible describes it. It was the weight of the sin of all humanity. I mean, if we could calculate the weight. This is true. 
of Calvary. And what he carried for you and for me. We're approaching the gospel here. I mean, we're dangerously close to having him actually preach the gospel. Let's see if he does it. You and I know the weight of our own sin. How many know when you're away from God, the weight of that sin? Can you imagine the weight of eternity in the sense of from creation, birth, to the end of this age and the sin of all humanity sitting? You, see, you know, I feel like we should be playing the, the game hotter or colder. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever lost your uh, television remote and then asked one of your children where it's located? And they decide to, well, play games with you and not quite tell you where it is. And you go, come on, tell me where it is. And they go, nope, I'm not going to tell you. And then you go, all right, am I getting warm? And they go, nope, nope, nope. So you wander around the room. They go, you're getting colder, 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 cold, cold, really frozen. You're frozen. You're freezing to death. It's There's snow on your forehead. Okay, and then you, you change direction. They go, getting warmer, getting warmer, getting warmer. You're Oh, you're burning up. You're hot. Oh, yeah, you're scorching. You're out. The, yeah. I feel like we should play that game with uh, Paul DeJong here. Um he was getting warmer. He was moving. He was get, moving towards the gospel. He was getting warmer, 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 and all of a sudden he started getting colder. Cold. No, no, he switched directions. And, hmm. On the shoulders of Christ, and the weight that he carried. Christianity is not about a bless me club, and yet God is a blessing God. Colder, getting really cold, moving away from the gospel. Now we're we're freezing. Over the years, sometimes people have said to me, "Are you okay?" Or said to Marie and I. Or, other leaders that we serve with, are you guys all good? And I haven't really at times been able in certain situations at least to describe the weight that you have to carry at times. Uh, we were talking about the weight that Jesus carried. Um, what weight are you talking about that we have to carry? Jesus said, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. What are you talking about? You see, God gives us a weight to carry that unlocks us from the bondage of self when we really begin to understand it. I don't know if you noticed Nigel on the stage. Give us a wave, Nigel. I'm going to pick on him this morning. Nigel's our keyboardist, and I was just talking to Tony, who looks after worship and creative arts this week or a week before, and he was just saying, hey, well, Nigel, he's really stepped up, man. He's just taken the load. I said, what do you mean? He says, actually, we're really light on great keyboards here in the city. And, of course, we've got six locations on a Sunday, so you can imagine the load. He said, but Nigel, you see, I said, he's always up here. He's always up here. And Nigel's up here. Why is he doing that? Because he's a weight carrier. When, when, when there's weight, it's like, well, I'm not backing away. If we need something, I'll find what I can do. I just found out this morning after I used him as an example in the 830 service, not only does he carry all of what he carries, he gives Sunday away almost every week. He's a life group leader, got a full-time job. But there's something obviously in his heart. In fact, I think we need to give him a hand because there's something in his heart. Something in his heart that goes, you know what? We're building something for eternity. We, we, we are a part of a generational army. We, we're not here just to have... Um, apparently we've uh, switched the subject and we're now talking about ourselves. Um, I don't remember Nigel carrying the weight of um, the, our sins on the cross. Um, can we? You're, you're like really. You're like in Antarctica right now. You've you've crossed over the Arctic Sea and you're now in Antarctica. That's how cold we are. I mean, you were so close to actually preaching the gospel, and then we're 
we're off talking about this other guy. He didn't carry the weight of our sins on the cross. Numbers in church on Sunday, we're here to see our city, our nation shake with the wonder of God because there's a shaking all around the world. And what's shaking is what was prophesied in Matthew 24, that at the end of the age, there'll be a groaning, there'll be a cracking. And you know what's happening right now is right across the planet, God is reminding us that this age is not our security. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the groaning and the cracking with the uh, the earthquake there in Japan, yeah, that's something that should shake you regarding security. Absolutely, it should shake you because uh, things like that remind us of God's justice and that God is, Christ is going to return. And it could be soon, so we, we've got to make sure that uh, we keep our eyes properly on what's going on there. And so, yeah, you're right, the, the, the earthquake in Japan does shake our security a little bit, and it ought to. But when you read Matthew, uh, you know, the Olivet Discourse, Jesus Christ, when we talk about the groanings and the birth pangs and all that kind of stuff, um, the apostasy, the false prophets, the false preachers, the false Christs, all of these, you know, multiplying as the as the time of Christ's return draws closer and closer. Yeah, the idea here is that we don't put security in this idea that, oh, don't worry, we can sin like there's no tomorrow. Uh, yeah, because, you know, you know, Jesus isn't going to come back anytime soon. I mean, the reality is he can come back at any time. And, uh, and you know, the earthquake in Japan reminds us of that because that's one of the things that Jesus prophesied would be happening in the last days. But I wonder if that's what Paul DeJong is referring to. And in the middle of it, God's saying, where are the weight carriers? Where are the ones that are actually going to carry some of the load? Where are the ones that are going to do what they can do to make the wonder of a difference? We pray for increase. Yeah, I don't see God saying that in any passage. Can you show me which passage God asked that question? It's a vision and greater outcomes. But you know, greater vision outcomes require an increase of cross carriers. Greater vision outcomes. Boy, this is heading in the wrong direction. I don't like where this is going. Bearers. People like you and me who spend a lot of our time thinking we can't do much, and yet God says, no, 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 you can carry. And then you're carrying, you're going to release so many others. I love the message of grace and forgiveness and love. Okay, getting warmer, getting warmer. Um, yeah, I, will he get hot and actually preach the gospel? I mean, we're steering in the general direction of the gospel right now. So we're going to play the hotter, colder game. He's getting warmer. And that's the message that brings us to Christ. But then as we mature, then God says, Colder, gold, getting colder. Didn't get hot, did we? Just come on. Come on, let's walk together. Three amazing challenges in verse 24. The first thing that Jesus says, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, if you really want to follow me, then you're going to have to learn to deny yourself. As I contemplated this passage and thought about our journey I was reminded that self-denial is a continual decision. It's not a once-only decision that we make and then we're mature, but kind of every day, every week, every season of our life, God says to be a weight carrier. There is a continual decision of self-denial. And I'm not sure if that's a valid thing from the text, but okay. 
You see, our first response in our humanity, no matter how much Bible college we've done or how much spiritual life we think we have, there's still the me, the my, the I. I love what Joel shared a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, stuff gets to our heart. Uh, you could talk about how, you know, out of the heart comes sin. I mean, Jesus talked about that. Uh, you could talk about, like, Paul's, you know, description of the Christian life in Romans chapter 7. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Yeah, I mean, that's a perfectly valid, uh, you know, direction to take this. Why do I feel like we're not going to uh, arrive there? Because at this point, the thing I've noticed about this sermon, it's like playing the hot and cold game. You know, just when you think we're actually going to hear something really solid biblical, if we're really going to hear the gospel, he, steer toward, he steers towards it, he, he's getting warmer, he, and then all of a sudden he makes a wrong turn, now it's getting colder and colder and colder and colder and colder, and we're moving away from the gospel. And it's stuff that clogs the arteries to who we really are. And the more... Um, no, we are by nature sinners, so... When we sin, that's because we still have our sinful nature that we're dealing with until our until Christ raises us with new resurrection bodies. Stuff we have, the greater challenge it is for us to have self-denial, to die to self. It's so hard in the Western world where everything is there, and, and yet the example for us is to set one of self-surrender. We've been fasting this month, and I don't know about you, but I don't actually believe fasting should have been put in the Bible. <laughs> you say, well, why? Because it's hard. Wednesday, we were fasting as a staff. We encourage leaders to fast. And thank God on Wednesday morning, as part of our fasting day, we had communion for staff, and we had communion again for the leaders' night. It was the best communion I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Took a big piece of bread and said, I'm taking more of your body, Lord, and been a great juice and I'm aligning myself with the revelation of your blood. Thank God for your power. But how many know fasting? That's a strange doctrine regarding the Lord's Supper. Hmm. It puts self in its place. When was the last time you actively made a decision about self-denial? Because that's a part of the pilgrimage if you want to come after me. It's like Am I making this decision based purely on me or self-denial? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 31, I die daily. He was so advanced in his discipleship that he said, every day I make a decision about dying. And he was so advanced in his discipleship that at the end of his life, he said that he was the chief of sinners. When Paul talks about dying to self, in many respects, many aspects, he's talking about dying to his own self-righteousness. He said, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. I think the echo of the modern day church is, for me to live is me. Come on. And Christ, I'll do the best I can. And I've come to realize that actually this thing called self and stuff... It, it, it needs a decision. i got to make a decision to deny self. And as I make that decision, I make a decision to release someone else. In fact, I'd put it like this. If it doesn't cost you, it doesn't release you. That's the heart of becoming generous. If it doesn't cost you. Yeah, that, that, it, that phrase, it, if it doesn't cost you, it doesn't release you. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Not biblically. 
Okay, L- let me give you an example. What did it cost you for Jesus to die for your sins? Nothing. Salvation is a free gift. It didn't cost you anything. It cost Jesus everything. So what Jesus did that didn't cost you, it cost him. It produces everything. Yeah, the, 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 the theology of the cross is 180 degrees in the other direction than what he just said. You, it doesn't release you. Self grabs you and self directs you and I. And self is so quick. In fact, I think sin and self are our greatest two enemies. You analyze how self leads you and takes you beyond where you've been before. In fact, when Jesus said you need to deny yourself the world, the word deny in the original means this to lose sight of oneself and one's own interests. All right, that okay, apar neomai, that's, that's a perfectly valid translation of that word, to refuse to recognize, acknowledge, or deny, to act in a wholly selfless manner, to deny oneself. That's what the Greek word means there. Okay, that's all right. So you say, well, I want to follow Christ. Then there needs to be a continual decision to deny self. To what degree? To get to a point where your interest, your business, your plans for the future, in that moment, are no longer being able to be seen. That's not a message we hear in the church. Now, God has a future and a plan. And we'll get back to the dream carrier session. Somebody say amen. That's coming up. But it's like this is the challenge that we all have a continual decision of self-denial. Secondly, not only that decision of self-denial, but Jesus went on and said, and take up the cross, or take up his cross. Anyone desires to come after me, you need to deny yourself, but you need to take up your cross. Or secondly, there needs to be a continual willingness to carry our part. Can you imagine the church... Everybody's shouldering their part. Come on, can you imagine the day where the church is going, you know what, I've got a role to pray, and I'm going to rise up as the message of God says, come on, church. It's- um, what exactly would that role be? I mean, could we get a little you know, biblical text here, kind of fleshing all that? You're saying... what? Can you imagine what it would be like if everybody did their part in church? Well, what's my part? What is my part? I mean, don't you think that we there should be some biblical passages that flesh this out? Is my part making sure that, I don't know, I mean, just name it, X, Y, or Z. I, I, I don't know. What, what, what is my part? I mean, here you are imagining, we're vision casting. Imagine what church would be like if everybody did their part. Well, what part is that? Because when I go to church, the church that I attend, we practice what's called the divine service. In other words, God is the one who's doing the acting. God is the prime mover and shaker. When I show up to church, it begins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the one triune God. 
And then I immediately begin by confessing my sins and then receiving from God the forgiveness of my sins. You're thinking, really? That's what happens at your church? Yeah, it's exactly what happens. And that's what has been happening in Christian churches for millennia. Think about it. So when I go to church, God is, you know, I'm not the one who's doing. I'm the one who's receiving. I go to church to receive. I receive from God the forgiveness of my sins. I receive from God his word, and I hear it preached into my ears. I receive from God the Lord's Supper, the body and blood of Christ shed for me for the forgiveness of my sins. And all of my responses to all of these things that God is giving me in the divine service is thankfulness and praise and worship to the God who doesn't keep a record of my sins, but has died for them on the cross. So, I mean, here you got Paul DeJong saying, imagine if everybody did their part. But the reality is, is that, wait a second, historically Christianity has not called on everybody to do their part in church. We go to church, we gather as the forgiven and redeemed saints of the Lord to receive from God. That's why I go to church. What's this this thing? I mean... What's my part? Imagine if if everybody in church did their part. What's their part? What What do you mean? What's my part? It sounds to me like we got a completely different idea of what church is. It's not about you getting your fix every Sunday morning. Hmm. It isn't. I I receive from God the forgiveness of my sins, His Word, and. The Lord's Supper, the body and blood of Christ, shed for me for the forgiveness of my sins. Hmm. This sounds to me like Paul DeJong has a completely different idea about what church is for. And, and, well, apparently everyone needs to now carry their weight. Hmm. Come on. It's not about you saying, well, I kind of like the music today. It really tickled by little whatever. It's like, yeah, well, we love worship and we love together and we love... But you know what? As I leave this place, I've got a bit of that cross on me. It's not the cross of living out somebody else's expectation. Hello. It's not the cross of doing it because I'm pressured to do it. It's not trying to be like someone else. But it's actually, I, I realize I've got a cross. I realize there's a weight on me. I've been saying to our leaders, especially our senior leaders lately, how many times do you stay awake at night about what God's given you to carry? Is it just for a few? Is it just for the, the evangelists to have a passion for the lost? Is it just for the one or two that are really committed? No, you need to take up. The word take up means to take away from another what is his. Did you get that? Jesus said, you're going to have to take up this cross. I'm carrying the cross. But you're going to take what is mine. There's a world that needs you to take some of this. To take the passion, the compassion. Of- yeah, I got a problem there. Um, he's just said that um, 
yeah, that's not what the Greek word um, iro means. The, the verb there, to take up, iro. Alpha, iota, rho, omicron, uh, not omicron, omega. To raise to a higher place or position, lift up, take up, to pick up. You can raise a standard, for instance. Lift up and move from one place to another, to carry along, carry away, or to remove. Um, yeah, I, I'm not seeing what he just said that this Greek word, even though he didn't mention it, supposedly means. The Father God and reach nations with it. it. It's going to take something that only you can bring to it. In fact, my definition of the cross is this, death to self for the sake of another. Uh, I think that's the definition of a cross. It's Jesus was death to self for the sake of you and me. It's kind of like we're in a day. Yeah, we're getting warmer again. It, we're, we could be steering towards the gospel. Day where there's a cry in the hearts of God's people. It says, God, we want more. I hear it all the time. And God's saying, colder. Now we're getting colder again. Well, then shoulder more. There's a cry in the hearts of God's people that are yet to get saved, saying, where is the answer to this mess? And God's saying, where are the cross carriers? Where are those? Yikes. Um, wow. Yeah, he's now uh, basically putting words in the mouth of God, which is a very frightening thing to be doing. You, you don't want to do that. That are going to die to self for the sake of another. To bring to birth, to carry somebody into a place they've never been before. Where will that happen? A couple of weeks ago, I was in San Diego ministering to a men's retreat. Amazing group of men in a very young church. We went up into the mountains on Friday night. And Friday night, there was 14 inches of snow that fell. A part of the camp, which I was the key speaker to, there was a guy who was a sergeant in the military. And one of the sessions, he took us into the snow for two and a half hours. I only had sand shoes. And we stood in the snow and he did his drills. He taught us self-defense. He, he taught us how the kingdom really works and what it means to stand shoulder to shoulder. He taught us how the people we stand next to aren't just people. They're, they're who we are. That's the way the military works. And if somebody didn't do what they were meant to do in that session, we all paid the price. Somebody didn't turn up on time or didn't complete what they were asked to complete. We were all in the snow doing press-ups. All of us down in the snow, 14 inches deep. Down, up. As you go up, you say, thank you, Mike, because Mike's the guy that stuffed up. <laughs> and so I'm going, hate you, Mike. Hate you, Mike. Hate you, Mike. We did 20, then we had to do another 20, and then another 20, 60 in the snow. Love you, Mike. Love you, Mike. My foot, we love Mike. I'm thinking the whole time flipping Mike, you need to go home to heaven. I'm thinking all the time, listen, I'm thinking all the time, why did he make us pay? Then at the end of the session, he said, you know why you need to do that? Because every one of us, that fails in life, there are other people that pay the price. Because when you fail, your spouse pays, your children pay. The generation. Okay, this would be a great place to preach the biblical gospel where Christ paid the price. I don't want to say we're getting warmer yet. I'm not convinced we are. Generations to come pay. What a lesson to learn.
And I began to see from his point of view, man, we're going to need to be carriers for other people. And it's going to cost us something. Then he said in this two and a half hour session, there are men here that are so severely addicted with stuff, you know you can't break the pattern. And he talked to it for a moment and 15 guys came forward. Big guys, small guys. Guys have been in the church for a little while, newcomers. And they admitted to the fact that they were out of control in areas in their life and sin and wrong was holding them. He said, we're going to walk up to a place, had to go up a hill through the snow. He says, but these guys have admitted to all of us that they can't make it on their own. And so we're going to carry them. And we're going to carry them all the way. I don't care how hard it is and I don't care how we do it, but we'll all get involved and we're going to carry them. And then we're going to pray for them when we get to our destination. Well, the guy I was standing next to that was closest to me was six foot six, about 250 pounds. <laughs> and at that moment, I just kind of felt, well, I'm the guest speaker. And... <laughs> I should be praying about my next message right now. It's like, I'll pray for you as I walk. And as I started walking, I felt this severe conviction. Walked over and the guy was struggling a bit. I said, have a break. Put his leg over my leg. We carried up this hill in sand shoes on slippery snow. And I'm thinking, I hate this. I hate this. What a picture. We're in a world that doesn't even know that there's a God that can forgive and love. Yes. Values them. We're getting warmer. And yet we get so wrapped up on self and we think we're following Jesus. Jesus says, no, you've got to take up the cross that I carry. Now we're getting colder again. I think God's shaking the world. One of the guys in our church I caught up with this week and he just started sharing about what God was saying to him. I said, you need to share that with the church. It wasn't at my request, it was at his sharing. So I'm going to ask Barry Tom. He's part of our life business to come up and just share what he feels God's doing in the church. Come on, let's give Barry a real thanks. So now, rather than getting a biblical teaching, we're going to get some what somebody feels God is doing in the church, because God is apparently speaking to his heart. Okay. It's a real privilege to be able to share on such an, a, a fantastic day feel quite nervous about it. I actually asked my good friend Kumar to pray for me in the first service. He said to me, don't worry, God can speak through a donkey. <laughs> so with that, I feel very empowered. <laughs> I'm a businessman. Uh, I grew a business from naught. I know the value of a dollar. Uh, I know how hard it is to make. I know how easy it is to lose. I, can I say I am not uh, a natural giver? That is not my gifting. <clears throat> I personally find this heart for the house, home for the harvest, uh, offering quite difficult. Uh, I've always been, I've been in the church for five years. And uh, as I say, it doesn't come easily to me. However, I guess. I just wanted to share a couple of things. 
I'm sure a lot of you have business, have businesses and are in business, and I think you'll agree that things are different in the world. It may be that they're never the same again. I believe that we are experiencing the birth of something new. Paul's alluded to that. Can I just read from Matthew 24? Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. These are the beginning of birth pains. You know, for me, God is saying something very new. It's fresh. It's something that I I don't want to miss. But the thing I know for sure is that it's not business as usual. You know, we're, we're, we're being confronted with something new. And uh, God is saying to me, hey, if you've got an ear to hear, I want you to listen to this. And I know a lot of you do because I've spoken to you as well. For me, God is saying the time is coming and has now come. For true worshippers to worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, didn't Jesus already say that? In the Gospel of John. And I want to be one of those. I want to be a true worshiper. I want to yeah, be... In spirit and in truth, then. Um, hmm. Yeah, notice that direct revelation he got from God, supposedly, sounds exactly like what Jesus said to the woman at the well in Samaria. Hmm. In a church of true worshippers. Everything that can be shaken... Is being shaken. You're in business, you know that. I, I, I tracked this shaking thing down in the, in the Bible and came to Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably. So I thought, wow, that's, that needs to be me. So I began digging a bit further and and investigated what is true worship and discovered Romans 12.1 that says, Offer your body a living sacrifice. This is your spirit. Actually, it says in light of God's mercy. That's the first thing it says. It, yeah, um, you missed that part. Spiritual act of worship. And so for me anyway, God has spoken to me the last few weeks, month, about a sacrificial offering. And for me anyway, I believe this is the key to unlocking the next season. Whoa, whoa, what? Um, the key to unlocking the next season is a financial offering? Whoa, yikes. Personally, for my business, and I, I believe for us as a church, I've given us some of money sacrificially, I have to say, for the first time in my life, and it's hurting. I've done it not because I can afford to, but because I believe I can't afford not to. God is calling me to shift my heart, my focus and attention to that which cannot be shaken. His kingdom. It's about kingdom. Yeah, and Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of the forgiveness of sins. You know, we're to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Um, 
Oh boy, this is not this is not going good. He's calling us to respond radically now. And and I've got to say, for me, it's not actually about how what is it? Heart for the house, home for the harvest, Christmas boxes or school makeovers, as great as all those things are. It's about getting my heart right. It's about being seat free. So you're going to get your heart right by your sacrificial financial giving? Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, if that was all that it took to get your heart right with God, then we could all just write a check ourselves, too. And, you know, and then we'll, our hearts would be made right. No. Yeah, see, you can't make your heart right with God through a check. Your heart is made right with God by the regenerative work of the gospel, the preaching of repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and Jesus Christ transforming you from dead to alive. In Christ. See, you can't make yourself right with God. If you can make yourself right with God, you wouldn't need a crucified and risen Savior. Yeah, no, this... Uh, this um, sermon time is taking a really, really, really bad turn. And boy, um, even though I hear this guy, you know, saying these words with tears, I am very, very frightened for him uh, because of the theology that he's, uh, he's speaking at the moment. It's not biblical gospel theology. This is something different. From the love of money. <clears throat> and being a catalyst for what God wants to do through me and us as a church. It's time to make a fresh decision as to which God we serve, to fully embrace the culture of the kingdom, and to invest in the things that have eternal value. Today's call to give is about unlocking something far more significant. There we go again. If you financially give, you're going to unlock something significant. Yikes. Uh, run. Uh, those, peop- those of you people in Life Church, run and, and make sure your pocketbook is not in your back pocket as you're fleeing the, the building. Yikes. Than the value of the check that you write. But writing the check is one of the keys to unlocking what God has for us. Wow, 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 wow. Oh, this is terrible. In this extraordinary season. Thanks, Barry. You know, the challenge of being a weight carrier is not a light message. I think sometimes we go around the edges and then we wonder why we don't see the fullness of the expression of God. And in these simple verses that we've read, Matthew 16, 24, remember that Jesus was speaking to his disciples. And again, I want you to capture the heart of what he said. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, there is going to need to be continual decisions of self-denial. And I'm sure he's going to provide them with an opportunity of financial self-denial. 
complete with the promise of that it's going to unlock something, apparently. Oh, boy. But Paul, his was a daily decision. Not only that, there will need to be a taking up of your own cross, your part. The cross that you have. Oh, man. Run, run, run. Have to carry. It's heavy. But it's able. Cue sappy music. And that's the willingness to carry our part. And then the third part, which you would think is the easiest of all, I think is the hardest today. Because then he said, you need to come follow me. And that is a continual yes to the whispers that God brings. You see, to the whispers? <sighs> Christianity and even a, a day like today, we, we're advancing as a church. I mean, by God's grace, never in the history of New Zealand have we seen what we're seeing and others are beginning to see in our nation. But like Barry just said, it's not actually about the dollars. It's not about the deeds. It's about our hearts and what God wants to do in us then obviously through us. And my prayer is that there'd be not one person today that would give because they feel pressured to give. Yeah, <laughs> wonder why they're feeling pressured. In fact, God says never give when you're caught between something that's making you do it. God wants heart response. And that's the following Jesus. That's the God whispers. To follow is to follow the one who proceeds to join him as his attendant. In other words, the picture that Jesus was giving is, you're going to walk where I walk. You, you're going to carry what I carry. You're going to engage your heart rather than just, well, I did my bit, tick my, tick my box and I move on. So much more. And do you know, heart engagement today, I think is our greatest challenge. I don't think we've got it as a church yet. I don't know what percentage of people at life that have been here over the last four weeks even our leaders, even our staff, I'm not sure what percentage are actually responding purely to the God whisper. I think there are all sorts of mixes in there. There's the mix of economic climate. Yeah, but what's happening in the world? We've got to be cognizant of that. No, I'm talking about the God whisper. Where was that in Matthew 16? The God whisper? Oh, boy. If I was cognizant, if Marie was cognizant of where our lives were at 20 years ago, we would have never moved to this nation. This church would not begin to do the things it's doing in prisons and communities and kingdom-related activity and everything we're doing if we just did the stuff that we could do. The God whisper. And my prayer, our prayer today is with so much noise, lack of means. What about the noise of I've carried this before? Marie and I had that noise going on in our heads. We've been doing this since we were 23 every year. Yet again, God knocks at the door and says, do something that's bigger than you've ever done before. And I'm going, but we did that last year. Time out. We thought we did everything. We fixed heaven up last year. You can leave us alone, God. And God says, no. We changed our mind twice. Why? Because the voice, the noise of I've carried this before was strong. But we're excited. Because how many know? We aren't responding to fear based in self. But we're actually responding faith based in spirit. This is what Paul wrote. And I hope you can capture this as we bring it to a close. But Galatians chapter 3 is a profound chapter. I'd love to preach for hours on this. 
Yeah, I'd like to hear you do that. Um, yeah, if you if you want to preach on Galatians, I mean, spend a few hours and you know, why don't you preach the whole thing in context? It'd be rather eye opening, I'm sure. This is what Paul says to the church in Galatians. He says, "Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should now not obey the truth before whose eyes?" Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. There's only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or did you receive the Spirit by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish that you begin in the Spirit now? You're being made perfect in the flesh. In other words, you listen to God at the start. Now everything in the natural world is directing you. Uh, no, um, that's not what Galatians 3 is about, uh, uh, is about at all. Galatians 3 is about those who are trying to be justified by works after believing the gospel, after hearing with faith. The, the dichotomy is between law and gospel in the book of Galatians. Wow, this is bad. Wow. You've suffered so many things in vain. And then verse 5, therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you, Listen, and works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law or does he do it by the hearing of faith? Yeah, Yeah, and the hearing of faith would be the hearing of the gospel, the actual preaching of it, the thing you kept getting close to, you were getting warmer and then you got cold again. Hmm. Again, this is no pressure, but I'm I'm giving it both barrels because I feel anointed for it. Marie and I will be able to stand before God tonight go we did what we heard not what we felt or what we could see a way through we did what we heard and when that happens we get to follow him because it's a spirit breathed and I'd say to everybody that's a part of life you should do something I make no apologies for that no matter if you're in the worst financial time you could give ten dollars a month it can change people it's not the amount it's the fact that we're all on team Wow, so the entire take up your cross thing was all about you writing a check to Life Church. <sighs> wow. This is worse than you ever have you ever sat through a, a sales pitch not knowing that it was going to be a sales pitch? You know, like for insurance or, you know, a timeshare or something like that. Um this this is what this feels like. Come on, but we gotta hear. And when those three things align, how many know the battle of the head gives way to the word of the Spirit? And when that happens, miracles happen. A lot of people say to me over the years, how come we don't see the miraculous today? Some I never really respond to. But sometimes I feel to say, I say, because we're not prepared to pay the cost. Oh, so the only way that we'll see miracles happen today is if we're willing to pay the cost. Yeah, uh, last time I checked that any time somebody is actually regenerated and brought to faith in Christ, repentance of their sins and the forgiveness of their sins in Jesus, that that actually is a miracle. I mean, hence Jesus saying, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Hmm. We don't pay the spiritual cost. We don't pay the natural cost. We don't. So miracles are, are only if you pay the cost like an e-ticket ride at Disneyland. You pay the right amount of money, you can go on the right ride, yeah. Do what the Bible says. If we all got planted, we all got, allow God to prune us, we would start to produce things that we'd never seen before. 
Yeah, this sounds like works. You know, our staff was amazing. and I think we could do two things at once. We're going to hand out envelopes. I don't want anyone to write on these if you would. Oh, envelopes too. Wow, you probably won't be able to leave the building until you've dropped yours into the bucket. And if you're visiting with us here at Life today, there is no responsibility. In fact, we'd encourage you not to give unless you feel God speaks to you. But I want the team to come, the host to come and pass these down the road. So I'd like everybody just to hold these envelopes. I said to our staff on Wednesday, wouldn't it be good for us as a staff that when I talk about staff, they're not all full-time, many are part-time. And then there are numbers that are interning. That means they pay to do a year of development and serve the vision. And this Wednesday morning, our staff put in their pre-commitments. Today they'll be bringing their commitments. We had a total of 86 commitments that came in. Our staff have committed to bring an offering today of of $70,020. And over the next 12 months, through their monthly pledges, to bring another $158,748. Which means as a staff, we're bringing $228,768. Come on. If you know what some of those people are on, out of 86 giving units... We need at least $2 million. We are praying for an excess of $2.5 million for us to continue to build what God's calling us to build. You may be here today, and I I sort of joke, but I don't joke. You might be able to write out a check for a million dollars. If we had a check today for $10 million, it would not be enough for us to fulfill the vision we know God's given us in this season. And that's the state of where we can go. Our leaders, we had 240 leaders 264, I think it was, this Wednesday night, commit to bringing over 500,000. So we're already at three quarters of a million dollars. Well, it's turned into dollars and cents pretty quick, didn't it? So apparently uh, when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow him, it turns gets translated and interpreted into you need to be a weight carrier. And the way you become a weight carrier is your contribution to the millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, to support the vision of Life Church. And and if you do this, then it'll unlock things uh, for the next level. Okay. We've got our life business to come in on that and our church. And I'm believing that we're just going to smash it out of the park by God's grace. The devil hates it, man. And you get under opposition when you start doing this stuff. But he knows we're taking ground back. Yeah. How again are you taking ground back? Because every time you had the opportunity to preach the gospel, I mean, you kept getting closer, and then you just, you know, it went, it went warmer, warmer, and then it cold, 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 and freezing. And how exactly are you taking ground back again, sir? Do you know what I want you to do? Is I want you, if you're sitting with your spouse or you're sitting on your own, many of you have prepared your hearts to come and give. But I'm going to ask Tony and the team to join me, and they're going to, they're going to sing. And we're going to take at least two or three minutes. Maybe you want to talk with your spouse and just say, well, what are we going to bring? What are we going to bring in the one-off offering, which is what we're going to give today? And then what are we going to bring over the next 12 months in this year's Heart for the House, Home for the Harvest? Again, there's a monthly amount there. Just to make it real clear, if, if you can't break it down to a month, but you know, hey, I'm going to, over the next 12 months, apart from what I give today, I'm going to bring $2,000, then you can write, 
$2,000 annual. My annual pledge is $2,000, just to make it really clear. Because if you write $2,000 in there, you think it's annual. It's under monthly. We'll expect it every month. I'm just trying to make it really clear for you because otherwise the accounts department is going to have a major thing. But you might say, oh, I can't break it down to a month, but I know over yeah, the next 12 months I'm going to give this above. You, you wouldn't want to confuse that accounting department. I mean, they, they've got to be able to quantitatively analyze and come up with a numerical dollars figure for how large of the cross, you know, what, what, what how, yeah, I guess apparently the cross, the cross's weight is, is calculated in dollars. Got it. I'm giving today, then write annual next to that, okay, to make it really clear. But how many are believing with us? It's not about money, but it's about a new level of release. Come on. It's a new level. It's a new level. So it's a new level of release. Oh, well, I, so, wow, how great. I mean, wow. So, yeah, you give money, and it's about a new level of release. And you see God's up there sitting up in heaven with his arms crossed, and, you know, hey, yeah. If you're not satisfied with the level of release that you're getting right now, well, it's just because you haven't taken your financial giving to the next level. I mean, you gotta you gotta carry a, a bigger cross, uh, and and that means money. And so, um, yeah, you've you've got to get busy, and 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 if you want that next level of release, you've got to write the check, and make it big. How many knows know the plight of self? Tell you, this is the way to kill self. Ah, so the way to kill self, write a check. I had no idea it was that easy. Is to give what costs you something, amen? But it's got to be in your heart. Would you take a couple of minutes? Don't be distracted. Maybe close your eyes and just say, God, what are you wanting me to do today? What are you wanting me to believe for in faith? Over the- yeah, run. That- <laughs> run. Over the next 12 months. We've got 12 months to believe God to take us to a new level. And then as soon as you feel like you're at peace in your own heart, why don't you fulfill this envelope? Just write it out. If you need a pen, you can put your hand up. We'll have some of our team ready to hand out pens. I forgot to do that in the first one. But if you need a pen, but let's believe God for miracles in Jesus. Yeah, so you, the way you believe God for miracles is you buy them with a check. This name. Done, done. Wow. Holy cow. <laughs> that was awful. I, I mean, that was just flat-out manipulation. I mean, talk about proof texting. Talk about a pretext. Yowzers. I mean, that was literally about you write the check so that you can you can unlock the next level of release or whatever. He, and that's not what Matthew 16 is about at all. When you read it in context. Wow. I, I don't have anything else I can say except for that's that's not the biblical gospel and that's not how the God of the Bible operates. At all. And the things that he did with that text were not true. And he didn't really preach Christ and him crucified for our sins. He preached... Christ wanting to give you the next level based upon how big your check is. Yeah, I I don't know where how he m- twisted that so badly, but that's where this thing went and landed. It was like I said, this was like a bad insurance seminar or a or you know a, a high pressure sales you know tactic you know to get you know kind of bait and switch 
at one of those timeshare things. You know, you, you, you know. Wow. What did you think? You know, I, I'd, I'd love to get your feedback. Um, I was thoroughly disgusted, and I feel like I need to go take a shower now. So um, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. And now I'm going to go take a shower.